Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for Zoom Into Books and our Big Time Talker podcast in conjunction with Headline Books and our show sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a platform speaker, maybe you're a meeting planner, in-person meetings are coming back in 2022, and you can find one another at SpeakerMatch.com. Today's conversation is going to be a lot of fun. We hope you can participate. Send us your questions in the chat box, and we'll pose them to actor and entrepreneur, now new author, Larkin Campbell. He joins us from Hollywood today. His book is called A View from the Middle, How an Unknown Actor Managed to Stay That, that Way. Larkin Campbell, thanks for being on the program. Great intro, Brooke. That's fan Birkbeck. fantastic. Well done. Thank you, sir. Well, welcome all, and uh, hello from... Uh, the hills outside of Malibu, California. It's a it's a beautiful 85 degrees today. Okay, we can just wrap this up right now if we need to. We can just the people that live in the Northeast want to hear none right. of that. Sorry. We you grew up here. though, not in Malibu, California. You're a small town guy from a place that got a lot of snow. You're a Colorado boy originally, right? Yes, sir. Right in the 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 center of that state, uh, just north of Denver and Boulder, uh, a little tiny mountain town called Estes Park, Colorado. And although it's very tiny, you know, it's it's away from Aspen and all the big boys. And so uh, everybody, you know, knows someone that has been through that little small town because it's it's glorious. It's like a little tiny, tiny steamboat springs and a great mountain town. And yeah, that is uh, when I grew up, there was eleven hundred people there. So. Wow. Now I read the book. As a matter of fact, I've got one on my desk here of uh, you from the middle. And so I know the story, but I'm going to ask you some questions that I think will surprise people uh, about you because you're a guy who's been in uh, movies and TV shows and you've appeared alongside, uh, you know, Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. You've been directed by Clint Eastwood and Steven Spielberg and the list goes on and on. But you, you have something of a humble beginning. And I think the message I took away from this book, which was a lot of fun to read, I read it over the Christmas holiday, is that really anyone from anywhere can make their dreams come true. But how does a kid from, is it Estes Park, Colorado? Is that right? Yeah. How does a kid from Estes Park, Colorado even get it in his head that that I can be in the movies or I can be on TV? How does that even you know come onto your radar that that's a possibility? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I remember like, way back in the mid 70s there was this unbelievably huge miniseries called centennial that, that starred like robert conrad and it was james michener's book and they were coming to this little mountain our town because there's just there's massive fields and old log cabins and this massive production was coming to our town and my mom back in those days she was a paramedic and so they wanted her to be on set and so i got to go you know, on set with my mom and I, you know, granted, you know, long time ago, it was in the seventies, but you know, dozens of trucks and people and makeup and hair and wardrobe. And, you know, it was set, it was, it was like, you know, the old like trapper days. So there's, there's a pelt person and there's a, a, a Buffalo Wrangler. And I'm like, Oh my God, it was like, it was like, it was like a town moved into our town. And right. I remember like, you know, it wasn't a, an aha moment, but I remembered, I'm like, Oh my God, this is a, if, you know, and for our little town, 
it was a big deal. You know, it was sure. a lot of money for the town and, and my mom working there and me being a little, getting to see, you know, Robert Conrad, who was on Baba Black Sheep at the time. And I'm like, oh my God, he's a real dude. And he smoked cigarettes. And it was just, it was so cool to just kind of be, you know, very, very far removed from it. But to, to see it come and the excitement that it brought, you know, with, with all the, the people, you know, they'd shoot and then they'd come into our town, you know, and they came to our school and they spoke and I'm like, it was, it was a big deal. So that was a big seed that was planted in me. Like there, there was a big old world out there of people that I, I don't know any of them, but they're making, you know, they're making the big movies and, you know, they're making the movies that come to our theaters in our town. And I just remember that was a, that was a light bulb moment for, it wasn't just me. It was a lot of people, but it was a great time. Larkin Campbell is the guest today. The book is a view from the middle. How an unknown actor has managed to stay that way although i'm sure you have seen larkin in something somewhere along the way and and we'll talk about some of those uh roles that you've gotten the opportunity to do and the list by the way goes on and on mel gibson and danny glover and ben affleck and woody harrelson uh that you've, you've gotten to rub shoulders with so you're a little kid and you see this big tv movie made in your town which surely that's going to cause a big impression was that enough to to change sort of your trajectory as as you graduated from high school and you set out to go to college, did you at that point think, I want to do something in, yeah. in entertainment or showbiz? Yeah, I think so. You know, and, you know, granted, you know, very, very, very small town. So I don't want to say I was the, you know, I was the best actor in my high school because there, there weren't that many of us. So the competition was how many kids there. did you graduate with? My, my graduating class had 63. So, you know, half of them are girls, <laughs> half of them are girls. Most of the guys think theater is for dorks. So, so I got to do a ton of plays and, you know, be the scarecrow and all that stuff. So, and I remember very distinctly, you know, my dad was in a country Western band and they played all the summers in my hometown. And at the end of those shows, you know, hundreds of people standing up and clapping for my dad and getting autographs and then combined with like the little bit of fun and I got to have in high school, it just made sense to like, you know, I don't really know what else is out there for me in the world, but I, I chose a college that had a great drama program and, you know, I, I was still just a guy who just was just interested, you know, and nobody told me I was gifted and no one told me I, you know, I was on my way and I should go to New York and try Juilliard. It was never like that. You know, it was drama 101 was my, you know, intro to the big world of nobody knowing who I was, you know, going to auditions at my college with 20 other guys that were better than me and more experienced. But I did, I mean, that was when I really thought, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And then you know, the little bit of success I had in college being in plays and helping start a theater company. I'm like, this is, this is the, that you couldn't pick a more fun thing to try and chase as a profession where, you know, at the end of a day's work, people are going to clap for you. And, you know, and of course, you know, meeting the girls and meeting the interesting people and the artistic people that I just was always kind of gravitating towards. That was just, you know, I couldn't have been more inspired to try, you know, to try this. And then, you know, finding out about, you know, like people really do do this for a living. They really do. They make a living as a theater actor and you can make a living in the world as an actor. And I found that out in college. And then I was like, mm, okay, well, I don't know what else I can do, but this is, this is the, if I had a calling and this better be it. <laughs> <laughs> so what I loved about this book and the book again is a view from the middle. We've got it right here. When I read it is your story is so different than most of these that you hear uh, from the people you see on TV or in the movies in that, you know, those folks are told in their hometown, 
oh my God, you're incredibly gifted. And they go away to Berkeley School of Music or they go to Juilliard or they study, you know, drama at the Lee Strasberg School in New York. You're an average guy who decided to chase after this thing. And by crackies, you made it work. So that takes, uh, you know, a combination, I think, of grit and perseverance and, and also, you know, some breaks that come your way along the way where yeah. you make decisions that maybe you don't realize are going to impact the rest of your life, but you make them nonetheless. And one of them that I thought was pretty amazing was your decision to go to Hollywood, to go to Los Angeles. So, so tell folks that part of the story. What is it that made you say, you know what, I'm going to set out and I'm really going to try this. Yeah. So, uh, so I studied radio and television broadcasting at Washington State. And I got a minor in drama because my dad said, if I graduate from college with a minor in drama, he was going to disown me and probably punch me in the face. Had to get a real degree. So to get the degree in radio broadcasting, you had to do an internship. And I had my best friend from high school had already moved to L.A. He was chasing something else, but um, he he was doing radio and he got an internship at Entertainment Tonight, you know, which at the time was a giant. It was the only show doing that, you know, the Hollywood gossip and you know, there, there have been many since then, but E.T. was the big boy for a long time. And so I came down on spring break from my senior year of college, not really knowing what was next for me. And I saw my buddy who working at Entertainment Tonight as an intern. And, you know, we, we park and we, we walk onto the Paramount lot. You know, it was like Shangri-La. It was like the gates of heaven. And, oh, that's, that's uh, Ted Danson right there. Hey, Mr. Danson, like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, the cheer set is right there. And entertainment wow. tonight, and I'm meeting John Tesh and Mary Hart, and then my friend Lisa Gibbons. Did you meet Lisa Gibbons? God bless Lisa. She just she 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 is heavenly. Probably still is. She was heavenly, and but they were. I mean, they were they were big time television people at the time. Sure. And my buddy just introduced me to him, and then at the end of it, he's like, "Hey, dude, you need an internship to graduate. I can get you in here." Like he li literally like it blew me away, and I was down there on spring break, like I said. He got me on the set of The Wonder Years, that awesome TV show with Fred Savage. Fred Savage, yeah. Uh, which was a huge show at the time. And, you know, he got me on as an extra. And, and can you roller skate? I'm like, of course I can roller skate. I could barely roller skate, but I told him I could. <laughs> we got free food all day. And they wanted one of us, to if we could skate really close to Fred Savage and not hit him. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Of course I can. I'm, I'm an expert skater from Colorado. Of course people can roller skate in Colorado. Sure. But they picked, they picked me. And I was only there for a day. And I got to, Fred Savage goes into the wall and I have to skate around him. And we did like eight takes. And every time the director's like, great job, Larkin. Larkin's doing a great job. I'm like, what is happening? This is, you know, <laughs> And you're what, 21, 22 years old? Yep. And the food was fantastic and all day long. So this spring break down in California and- I just like I saw that it's a real thing like you can you can work at entertainment tonight you know you can people work here hundreds of people work at Paramount and they make movies and like literally that trip changed my life I went back to college I was doing a bunch of plays at the time and I was thinking about moving to Seattle to help this theater company and my buddy from LA he's like you're an idiot nobody cares about you <laughs> doing theater in Seattle when you can come down here and you know throw your hat in the ring, dude. And I, and I like, he really, he's the best tour guide of all time. He, I, I visited LA and he conned me into moving down here, but you know, the, the, what I saw and I saw that there's people, you know, dudes just like me, you know, that, that can find a way. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I had to be here to find out. Give it a try. 
So what was the the reality of that internship at Entertainment Tonight versus sort of, you, you know, you come down there on spring break and you're on the wonder years immediately yeah. as an extra. What yeah. was it really like? What was the job? Well, I mean, you know, I, I've worked as a grunt uh, production assistant. I've, I did that for years, but it started there. But I didn't care because there was a, uh, you know, at first it wasn't paid. It was just an internship. So it was a couple of months. But there was a sign up sheet in the lobby. And it was the interviews they were doing that week. You know, this week uh, uh, we got, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood is coming to town for something. Or And you could sign up and be a little cable wrangler for any of these interviews. They needed a, they needed a set of hands and take the paid intern who doesn't know anything. So there was, I, I was in town for two weeks, Burke. Two weeks in town, living in West Covina. Of all the, the beautiful places in California, you're never going to hear about West Covina because it's a dump. That is not one of them. Okay. No. It's not on any of the brochures of California, but I would drive into town every day. And then I saw this Garth Brooks and I was a huge country fan and he was making a guest appearance on a show called Empty Nest with Christy McNichol and Richard Mulligan, who was on soap. And, yeah, yeah. and I, I, so I signed up. All right, Larkin, be, be here at six in the morning the next day. And I write, I go in the van with the ET crew and we get to set and you know, no, I would say 90% of the people on this crew didn't know who Garth Brooks was. They knew he was a country dude, but. Early in his career, right? This would have been early 90s. Yeah, 91, August of 91. And yeah, so he's still out. coming up. Yeah. yeah. And I knew every song. I had, he only had two CDs out, but I knew him. And I brought my friend with me who worked in entertainment ET as well. And we, they were like, Larkin, we don't really like the interns, you know, to talk to the stars and, you know, just keep a low profile. Like, hey, you got it, man. You know, got to be professional. The, the second that I saw Garth come around the corner, my buddy and I made a beeline toward him. I'm like, Garth, my man, how you doing? God, brother, so good to meet you. And Garth is you know, <laughs> the nicest. He still is, from what I understand. That he is. He takes yeah. his hat off, shakes her. Hey, Larkin Campbell, what a great name, Larkin. What a, where are you all from? And we're yucking it up. And the producers are just looking at me like, oh, I don't know, Larkin. I, you shouldn't. But Garth loved it. We talked to him for about five minutes, and then he had to go work, right? When he was done, and this is a true story, he's done, and they're wrapping him. He's like, where's that Larkin kid? Is, that, is Larkin still around? And my buddy's like, oh, my God, he's talking to us. So we, he had signed CDs. We took 50 pictures. He was a sweet, like, he couldn't have been a nicer guy. <laughs> and, you know, I'm in town for two weeks. Don't forget that. I'm like, this is, this is insane. So it was grunt work, but I didn't care because I, I got to meet everybody you can think of. The, who was hot that time you know we're, we're going to interviews with Costner and Gina Davis and we go to their hotel rooms and we just set up the lights and stuff and then I just sit there but I'd always get to meet him and, sure. and then the Golden Globes came around and they were like uh Larkin uh we need an intern to go there at seven in the morning and mark off the area where E.T. will shoot later that night and I'm like I'm your man let's go I brought my fancy suit and I was there at six in the morning at the at the uh, Beverly Hilton. And I was the only one there except the staff. And they brought me breakfast and brought me a sandwich. I had a folding chair. But dude, I sat there all day till like three o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, and like the local news tries to come in and muscle you out and take your spot. I'm like, hey, back off, dude. This is E.T. And but and then then eventually everyone in town comes every black tie affair and everything. And then by the end of that night. I've shaken hands with every single star. Like you can even, you can't think of anybody I didn't meet, you know, and the, the reporter would hold his hand out. He was a known ET personality and I'm, but he didn't like to hold the mic. So I held the mic, you know, I, I, 
Hey, Tom Cruise right here, sir. <laughs> They'd come over, James Earl Jones, every, everybody you can think of. And, and like that was in one night. And, and, and that was, I'm like, I, I will work at ET for the rest of my life. This is all I need. I don't care. And I did it the next year too. So, you know, stuff like that, just, it got such a big hook in me that, and I wasn't doing anything. I'm not acting, I'm not doing anything, but I'm just around it. And that at the time, that was more than good enough for me. And I love the gratefulness in your voice because I'm a small town guy too. And, and it would not have even been, you know, anything I could have even imagined. So if you're watching right now, you're listening to the podcast, you can do this. Larkin Campbell did, and he wrote a book about it called A View from the Middle. And you can learn how you can break into showbiz as Larkin did and, uh, and rub shoulders with the rich and famous. And there was a great story from that era in the book about you and Woody Harrelson when he's on Cheers playing yeah. basketball and it ended badly. Well, it, it, banded, it yeah. ended badly. Come on. Yeah. I had, I had it for a while. So yeah, uh, at the time, Arsenio Hall had a show on the Paramount lot. Right. And when we were done with E.T., because E.T., you know, the show went out at one o'clock in the afternoon. So it was done. So we'd hang out on the lot and do whatever we could do. And Arsenio's show, like most talk shows, they film in the afternoon. They never film at night. So whoever was coming on Arsenio's hall show, hall show for the day, they would, you know, come and wander the lot, you know, and we would be out playing basketball or screwing around on the lot. And you could always see somebody, you know, I met Cindy Crawford and her people and Mark Wahlberg came by and, but we're playing hoop back there one day. And the basketball hoop was literally on the backside of the cheers stage where they filmed, they filmed every, they rehearsed on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then they started filming the show later. So on Mondays and Tuesdays, if they got done early, you know, the cast would come out and they'd shoot hoops with us sometimes. And Woody, you know, Woody was a, Woody Harrelson was a, you know, he was a small actor back then, but he was known clearly. Right. But he, ball, he, he loved to hoop. So we, we meet, we met out there, you know, every week religiously, sometimes more than that. And we had some pretty, you know, hard basketball games and, and some celebrities would stop by. The one guy that stopped by that didn't play was uh, Mike Tyson stopped by with his entourage. Oh my. You know, he's wearing these jean overalls with no shirt. And he like, you just, you didn't want to look him in the eye. It just looked like he, he would. Crush you with his bare hands. If yeah, you stared at him too long, yeah. But, you know, Woody and I played, I covered him, he covered me and, and I had a good game going and I uh, made a layup on him. He checked the ball to me. I was cocky. I launched a, a deep three-pointer right in front of him and it went in, probably a bank shot from the front, which is terrible. And then, and then he rolled the ball back to me and I launched again and it went in again. And, you know, people are starting to razz Woody Harrelson and he's getting beat up by the intern and uh, <laughs> come on, let's go Woody. And I, I think like some guys kind of backed off, like, let's see how this goes. And he gave it, he rolled it to me again, Burke, and I launched again and it went in again. So the last time he gets the ball and he won't give it to me. And he's like, you're, you're pissing me off, boy. Don't, I'm telling you, don't. don't, don't. <laughs> and what am I going to do? Right. So I launched again, I'd made three in a row and I launched one and I, it was going in, it was right there, but it, it rattled out. And then Woody just gave me a hard time and he's pushing me in the back. He's like, I told you, boy, don't, don't, don't bring that to me again and whatever. But <laughs> so he was, he, Woody didn't play around. Like he, he was a competitive dude but it was always fun. And it, you know, it was just fun being around him, you know, and, and cause he wasn't a cocky dude at all. You know, he just, he really just liked to play ball and, and, and it, it was a great little like benefit at the end of every day to go do that. It was great. And he became the breakout star of that show. I mean, that's amazing. That's funny? Yeah. Larkin Campbell is our guest. The book is a view from the middle, how an unknown actor managed to stay that way. And 
Um, if you have a question, comment for Larkin, we'd like to chime in. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us today for this special joint Zoom into Books and Big Time Talker podcast. Uh, Larkin's book available at Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. So talk to me about this transition, though, into uh, being the guy that plays as an intern on the back lot with Woody Harrelson yeah. to, to actually you know getting on screen. You did your extra thing uh, with Fred Savage in the Wonder Years, but how do you because it's so far outside the realm of anything most people can imagine, how do you actually make that happen on a consistent basis? Because you have generally worked consistently in this business now for the better part of three decades. So yeah. how do you transition from being the the ET, the Entertainment Tonight intern, to a working actor in Hollywood? Yeah, well, I mean, I always attribute it to like, like I just I just stuck around the whole time. You know, I never, I, I waited tables in college and I, you know, it was it was a hustle. It was a lot of work, you know, to, to make ends meet with that. And I just, when I got to LA, I'm like, I, I just told my, I'm never gonna, I don't, I do not wanna work outside this industry. I wanna, you know, I'd rather make, I'd rather get coffee for Sybil Shepherd than, you know, I'm not gonna get discovered in the produce section at, at the local store, even though I need money. So, so the, the PA job at Entertainment Tonight, production the assistant. PA is a production assistant. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's a gopher, it's a grunt, and uh, but I loved it. it. It was a sweet, sweet gig. But then I got paid there for a while, but then it just kind of ran its course. I didn't really think that I could work myself up there. So I put the word out to, you know, I go, hey, I'm looking to just keep working, you know. And uh, a good friend at Entertainment Tonight got me my next production assistant job where I was getting coffee for, um, literally getting coffee for Sid and Marty Croft, who were, you know, the biggest producers of Tilt. Yeah, the Banana Show. Splits and all that stuff on Saturday morning TV. Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Yep, yes, sir. HR Pup and stuff. And they... They made all these crazy cartoons, but they, I mean, they were still a known entity. And they, you know, I basically, you know, vacuumed their guest house and went to the bank for them. And uh, you know, every now and then I get to go to the costume shop and see the old cool stuff. But, you know, and then they didn't really need me. So I moved on from there. And I, the PA jobs just kept leading me around to different TV shows. Just, you know, pretty much go for work and making copies. But then I got a job. And let me ask you, let me stop you there for a second. Let me ask you what it is, though, that made people want to hire you. Because I think that for folks who are watching or listening, the, it, it seems fantastical that you could do this. So what are the qualities you think, pat yourself on the back for a minute, that helped you go from job to job to job? Yeah. Because it's different than most careers where you go and you stay for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You're at these jobs for a couple of months, if that but you keep yeah. landing them. So how do you do that? How do you keep landing these positions? What is it well, about I, you that you're able to do that? Well, I think it's because uh, I had a truck. No. <laughs> Reliable transportation. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I'll give myself a lot of credit for things that I hustled for myself later in my career. But, you know, early on, I mean, there, you know, if there was a need for a guy who had, who had a truck and could deliver scripts around town and was dependable, you know, and, 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 you know, I could always sell myself and I had a, you know, I always think that ET having that, you know, I go, he worked at a real show. I think that always helped, you know, it always helped. He, he, he was a legitimate PA. He has recommendations. So the PA jobs, although anybody can do them, you know, you still had to get them and, you know, and, and then, then you just worked, you know, I was never late. I've never been late in my life for anything, you know, and, and I may, I might've been the most enthusiastic guy there. So that helped too. But so those PA jobs would lead to, you know, and, and I, it led me to uh, like a game show where they needed a, a PA that could work in the office and make copies 
and also work on set the days they were filming the show. And then when I would get on set, I'm like, oh, now this, this is cool. I get a little headset. And, you know, although it was nice not to have to go make coffee and make copies, you're on set. You know, that's where the cameras are. That's where the director is. That's where, although it was a goofy game show, Supermarket Sweep, which was fantastic. And I, I love that too. That's where I met my wife. Uh, like I, I'm seeing all these pieces of like, man, there's all these shows and all the shows need PAs and they right. need office PAs, but they need set PAs too. So, and then I worked, that led me to a, um, a personal assistant job when I worked for uh, Roseanne Arnold for a little while, Roseanne and Tom. And that was a complete disaster because they were maniacal, crazy people. And that now don't sugarcoat it. Tell me how you really feel. Whew. I don't know how many lawyers are listening, but I don't, I don't want to mess with any of them, but you know, I, I worked for Tom and Roseanne when they were giants. You know, Ro Roseanne was the highest paid actress in the history of television. Wow. And her show was the biggest show on TV. And her husband, Tom, had parlayed himself into a nice career. He had his own show and he was working on the movie True Lies directed by James Cameron. And he was rolling and they were rolling. They had 20 PAs doing, you know, I was picking up kids from school. I was picking up dry cleaning. I was, you know. Uh, weekly trips to the lawyer for the next lawsuit against them or what, whatever. But. <laughs> but, but, but it says in the book though, that Roseanne, you and Roseanne had a really uncomfortable moment where she thought you broke into her house. Yeah. And by the way, that was uh, day three. I was working for them for day three. And I don't know why, I think it was a setup, but yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, this, this is, this is Hollywood, you know, Roseanne was a giant with paparazzi at her gate all the time. And Roseanne, has never shied away from being in the news. So she, you know, she was always kind of on high alert, I thought. But yeah, one one night I'm delivering groceries there and the the security code was too complicated for me to remember. And I I set off the house alarm and I'm yelling, I'm sorry, Roseanne, it's I'm Larkin. She's like, I don't know what a Larkin is. Get out of my house. And <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm like, I, I don't know how to shut it off. Who do I call? Like, you know, I was terrified. It's, it's like I'd broken into a bank and I was, I wanted to turn myself in while I was still there. <laughs> Terrifying. But <laughs> granted, although they were maniacal, crazy people to work for, that night she had a right to yell at me and I, and the, the, the cops called the house and they shut off the security alarm. Then she told me to leave and I left quietly with my tail between my legs and I should have been fired, but they let me slide for a while, probably because you know, they don't want too many people to know their secrets. So they, they kept us pretty close to the vest. But I don't want to say too much about them because I was thankful for the job and I met some good people there. And that job, you know, being, being a, working in their lives, seeing celebrity lives up close, it was a big eye-opening eye thing for me. Like, they are real people. They have problems. They have kids. Like, it's, it was real. I'd never been friends with a celebrity before. And so that was eye-opening. And that showed me that I never wanted to be a celebrity assistant for, for eternity, never. Even if it was a stable person, I didn't want that. And that was a big thing for me. It showed me because as assistants, we got to go see Roseanne's show get filmed. And the people that went crazy, you know, screaming her name when she came out, you know, before the show. And like, it was a big, big eye-opening thing that they are real people. And it is a big world of being a celebrity. And I don't really know if I want to be one, but I, I love, I love when the lights go down and the show starts and the excitement backstage. And I got to see all that really, really up close. So that, that was definitely a light bulb too. Like I, I know that I can find a way to, to, it was time for me to try and start being on camera instead of just helping, you know, be a PA and, and, you know, deliver scripts to these other Yahoo actors and, 
it was definitely a time for me uh, that get and and when I quit working for Tom and Roseanne, it was a good time for me to to start my own hustle for sure. And what was the the first sort of on camera role? I don't know if, if big break is the right word for it, but maybe for you it was a big break that took you and transitioned you from being a production assistant and the guy who's breaking into Roseanne Barr's house yeah. uh, into you know a working actor that that has some FaceTime on a screen somewhere. What was that first one that kind of sticks out in your mind? Yeah, the, the next, when I left Tom and Roseanne, there was a new, new network starting up called the UPN Network out here. It's Channel 13. And they were producing some of their own shows. And there was this brand new show called Live Shot. And it, it, did, it, it lasted one season or so. But I was, an, I was an office PA on that show, making copies, delivering copies to the actors every day when they made changes. I stay late every night and the actors make their changes. And then I go, you know, this was back in the nineties where I delivered all the scripts that now you hit a button, but back then, right. but you know, I, 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 and I did it, you know, for months and months and months, it was the first year of a new show. So they had like a lot of episodes and, you know, I started reading the scripts. I'm like, Oh God, you know, look, look in uh, script number seven, there's a guy in bar. It said, that's his name, guy in bar. I'm like, I, I why can't I be, I, I was a guy in bar for seven years in college. Why can't I be a guy in bar for God's sakes? I know this role inside yes. and out. I've been living this. And, you know, I, I working there so long, you know, I, I'm, I'm the guy bringing the producers their coffee every morning and they know me by first name and, and they know I'm a hustler and they know I'm this and that. But I hadn't done, you know, I've been in town for a couple of years, but I haven't even tried, you know, t- to be an actor. You know, they don't care that I was great in college. Why, why would they? Who, who, the town is filled with dumb dummies like me. So, but this one <laughs> dude, uh, uh, I know I can be guy in bar. Please give me a chance. He's like, why should I give you a chance? God, give me a chance. Come on, man. And every day, you know, our office was upstairs every day. They had the auditions downstairs and I'd see all these guys come and go twice a week, guys that look just like me. And I, and I'm like, I know I can be one of those dudes. I know I can. So I said, I'm going to audition for this guy, whether you guys let me or not. I know I can be this guy. He's got, he's got two lines in a bar. I mean, seriously, the director can tell me exactly how to do it. It can't be that hard. They gave me a chance. I got in line with all the other yahoos one day and it was fantastic. I'm like looking around. Hey, so this is, this is what it's like boys downstairs. I'm usually upstairs making copies for you guys. So, and I walked in, I was sweating bullets. Oh my God. And the, you know, the producer knows me, the director knows me. And I walk around this corner, nervous wreck. And they like, I, they were joking, but he's like, Oh God, who thought this was a good idea? Larkin, Larkin, I already already had my coffee, Larkin. Thank you. I'm like, you, you, you SOBs, you can't do that to me. Like, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, they say, Larkin, you're a guy. I'm like, so I'm going to get a role on a TV show. They're going to give me $700, which is to say two lines to say, um, my line of words. You remember? Yeah, that they were interviewing. So you know, the the show the show was about a news channel. So they always had interviews with guys on the street, and I was just a guy in a bar. And they're asking me about these um, <laughs> these cheerleaders that dress too sexy. And if it, it and and my line is, hey, listen, uh, girls dress like that, they're asking for it. That was my line. <laughs> so you know, I was an idiot, but we did a couple of takes, and I got to go, you know in front of the big camera with the big crew and extras behind me for once. And they mic me up. I'm like, let's go, let's go. This is, this, this is, is for me. Side, the other side of the mountain. And then, you know, then they hand me my walkie talkie and I go back outside and I have to keep the extras quiet. So they took a little shine off the day, but dude, that, that was the start of a run of probably 
two or three years where I would get a job. I would sell myself as a PA and I would get a job on a show. And I, I, I'm as good as anybody. I know, I know the town like the back of my hand. I can deliver scripts like nobody's business. I'm wildly charming. Just let me, let me show you. But a couple episodes in, I would start hitting them up. I go, hey, hey, I can be, I, I'm your guy. I'm your cop number one. I'm your officer two. <laughs> and dude, I, I parlayed that into, I would say, seven or eight jobs. Wow. Where I Without even an, an agent to go and hustle for you. I love it. Nope, Larkin I... Campbell is our guide. The book is A View from the Middle. And you can pick it up at uh, larkinsworld.com is the website. Larkinsworld.com. L-A-R-K-I-N. Larkins World. Uh, you can also find it uh, at amazon.com. Uh, and uh, we're talking about the craft of acting and how Larkin was able to come out of a tiny town in Colorado and, and make a go of this in Hollywood for a long time. Have you at any point during this journey since the beginning, since you've been out there, had to get a, a real job? Because I talk to actors all the time who they have to get a job waiting tables or fixing cars or whatever, being a ski instructor. Have you ever had to get a, a real job? I mean, I, I fought it so hard. I, I ended up literally working in the produce section of a new supermarket out in the beautiful town of West Covina. And I did it for a week. I lasted for a week and I quit at lunch. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I've left, I've left all my friends. I've lost all my, I've left all my family to come down here and I'm not doing it. I, I'd rather starve and you know, go live in a shelter and audition than, so I never did. So, but those PA jobs, they paid just enough. It was just enough. You know, it was 500 a week or 600. And then, you know, then I just kept going. I just kept going. I'm like, I, you know, I think I can make it, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a working actor is one thing, but a people working in the movies is another thing. You know, there's thousands of us, you know, grips, electricians, all those guys. But that, you know, I, I came up with a big group of PA guys and we're all hustling the same jobs. And then I, I was still not ready to make a stand as an actor by any means, you know, but then I found the great world that you read about uh, of being a stand in. So when I, when I would get these jobs as a PA, I would spend as much time on set as I could. And then I started working my way into getting in features and I could be a stand-in in features. And, and now explain that. what that is for people that are yeah. not in the movie or TV business. What is a stand-in's job? And, you know, it's, it's basically a, 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 a mannequin that can stand in, you know, they literally, you know, when the actors come to set, all of them, and, and it's not just big boys, it's everybody on every okay. little show, every soap opera, everything. They come to set and they rehearse and the director blocks out the scene and then they go away and they get fancied up and beautiful and the directors come in and they, they, they set all the lights and they need a yuck like me, you know, uh, an average looking Caucasian 5'11 male to stand there for Gary Sinise or to stand there for Gary Cole or Tom Hanks or whoever. And I've done all those guys and you just stand there. And if, if they're holding a gun, then you hold a gun. If you're, if, if, if they're uh you know, doing a dramatic turn, then you do it. And then they just get it ready. And then when those Christian Slater, or whoever comes back to set, then they're all ready. They don't have to have these guys stand there for, I mean, I, I've stood in the same spot work for hours, hours. I had to get orthopedic shoes. I was standing there for so long, but, but listen to this. It's, it's, it's a screen actors guild paid job. It's a union job. It's a real okay. job. And you make twice as much as the background actors, you know, the extras twice as much and you get to eat with the crew. I mean, I mean, <laughs> when, when somebody told me that this exists, I'm like, what am I doing delivering scripts? This is fantastic. So 
when I, when I, when I, I knew I was never going to have to get a, a real job once the stand in stuff started coming around and, and then, then it started coming. Then it was fast and furious. I got, I got on one job. And then if, then if an AD friend of mine or a PA said, Hey Larkin, I got a, I just booked a job with Christian Slater. It's a 90 day shoot. Uh, you're taller than him, but come out and they're, they're looking at the stand-ins to see if they're the right fit. And I got that job and it was a monster Warner Brothers movie, monster. They're just throwing money at people. If you, if you work extra, we don't care. We'll, we'll pay you for two days work. We don't care. Just, just throwing money at us. And that, that's when I was like, oh my, I, I'll never have to have a real job again. I can stand here and pretend like I'm somebody else and get paid a pirate's ransom and get fantastic food three times a day. So that was a big one for me was getting that job. That, that's when I knew I'd never have to get a real job again. And that was a great chapter in my life. And, and, and really attracted to craft services. I've noticed. I think that the free food has been a big draw for you in show business. They get Bert, they give you dessert at lunch. I mean, who, who yeah. does that? It's not, you're not getting a scoop of ice cream. It, this is a fantastic four courses of dessert. And I, uh, Yes, it was a big part of my life. I, I really enjoyed every meal I ever had on set. And it was many. This is like that Dire Straits song, the money for nothing and the chicks for free. This is it's all that. Um, oh, Larkin Campbell is our guest. A View from the Middle is the book. It's a great read. It's a fun read. Uh, and it's filled with the grateful attitude you see from a guy like Larkin, who's figured out how to crack the code and be a, a living, working member of the entertainment industry. Uh, we could talk about this forever, but I got to throw some names out there. And, and you can kind of give me your first quick impression of these folks that you have met and worked with. Okay. Uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Uh, well, I got to tell you the story if I can. So, cause it, cause it, that's what changed my life. Uh, working as a stand in all of these movies, I got, you know, my world is assistant directors. That's what my wife is. Assistant directors. They, they do everything on set. There's the director and the producers, but the assistant directors, they wear a headset all day and they yell at everybody and they, they get the movie made day by day. That's what they just do. Right. And a lot of my friends were ADs, assistant directors. So okay. this one buddy of mine, he was working on Paul Thomas Anderson's movie called Magnolia. I saw that movie. Yeah. And he, he said he was going to try and get me on the movie as a stand-in for William H. Macy, who I ended up doing a couple movies with, but he said, Larkin, I need you to come in today, you and a friend of yours, and I'm going to put you guys, there's, there's, a, there's a huge scene today with 100 background. I'm going to put you in the front row, and there's a guest speaker in this scene. I can't tell you who it is. I'm like, come on, dude. Who is? He's like, can't tell you. We're not telling anybody who it is. So, you know, they put us in this makeup and wardrobe, and they were putting us as a plant. They wanted real actors in case the director wants to give a couple guys lines. They want you guys there. So, Absolutely. I, you had you had me at Magnolia. I don't care. So it's a it's a it's the opening of the movie of Magnolia, uh, one of the first couple scenes of, of Magnolia. And and, you know, they didn't even tell us who who the guy in the scene was. It's a huge scene and uh, a banquet room filled with hundreds of guys, just no girls. Right. And it's a seminar about uh, men dominating their women. That's what the seminar is about. And so literally they filmed the first scene still not telling us who the guy in the scene is, you know, and I'm in the front row ready. They dim the lights, the music's playing. There's three cameras moving. It's going crazy. And we still don't know who the dude is. They revealed to us the background who was in the scene at the same time they filmed it. It was crazy. It was such a cool setup. And when the lights come on, there's, there's freaking Tom Cruise standing there. Like literally the music built up and it was Cruise and he's got a ponytail and he's all ripped and jacked and, 
and you know he's right there right and we didn't know and then after the first take clearly we all knew but we gave him a standing ovation and it was so cool and i look over my buddy my buddy who's the ad i'm like are you really this is what we're doing today so he comes over he whispers in my ears like dude just hang on i'm gonna i'm gonna get you in this scene it's gonna be a couple hours but just stay tight you know so we did the scene you know dozens of times and tom cruise is you know he he he's the master of what he does there's no and paul thomas anderson who you know directed you know there will be blood and boogie nights and and he was a master you know uh, uh, total theater freak and he's you know working with Cruz about how to work every line and then we'd go again and then Cruz would bring all this energy it was it was actually it was an amazing day because Cruz Cruz is as good as anybody who's ever done it he couldn't be more into it he gets the crowd involved he, he, he's pushing every scene like to the limit, does it different every time. But sometimes you don't know if he's pissed that he missed a line or if he's pissed in his character. It was, he's, that, he's that good. So they're doing this scene where Cruz leads this crazy seminar and then he's going to break for lunch. All right, boys, I'll see y'all after lunch. And then he's going to head off stage. And the AD guy goes, Larkin, go get him. When he leaves the stage, you go get him. So they came by and they gave me a mic. I'm like, what do you, when you say go get him, I don't even know, what are you talking about? What's happening? Go get him. You, you, you grab his hand and don't let him break. You shake his hand until they stop you. And here we go. One, two, three. I, I really don't even know what's happening, but I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I don't care. So in this scene, you can see it in the movie. Tom Cruise says goodbye and he heads off stage and I, I make a total beeline for him. And I stick my hand out. Hey, I love what you're saying, man. You're, speaking my language I, I i'm so thank you so so much you know i just he said say whatever you can say but don't curse and don't be stupid so i just did it <laughs> and so i i shake cruz's hand for a second then his bodyguard kind of takes me down a little bit and and then that was it and the, like good cut we're gonna go again larkin that was really good i'm like oh my god what, what just happened it was the greatest you know and it's you know burke but i mean I, it sounds amazing and it was but it's a blip it's a blip in the film and that's a lot of the things that the great things that happened to me. They're a blip at the end of the day. They really are. But it happened and it happened to me. And I got to, you know, in between takes, I'm standing there next to Cruz. I'm like, this is awesome. I, I, don't, I, don't care. <laughs> I don't care what's happening. Because, I mean, it was really happening to a dude like me. And it happened because of my connections to friends and that I hassled them for years to keep me working. And that, you know, it was a glorious thing. They, they ended up not giving me an actor's contract because the lines I said were kind of vague and recorded over, but, you know, so I got a hundred bucks instead of a thousand and I never really got residuals. I don't get a credit in the film, but I don't, you know, I'm there. You see me. It happened to me. I don't care about anything else. Larkin Campbell is our guest today. He's an actor in Hollywood, a working actor for many, many years, character actor. His book is A View from the Middle. You can find out more at larkinsworld.com and the book is available also at amazon.com. Um, Tom Hanks has this this reputation as one of the nicest guys uh, in Hollywood. Is it well deserved? Tell the truth. Oh God, uh, they're underscoring his niceness. It's uh, I, I've got to work with him a couple times. I got again. I can't emphasize enough. I got I got these calls from old AD friends that they needed a stand-in for Hanks, and they were doing reshoots on Saving Private Ryan on the Big Lot Universal, and my buddy's like. Yeah, uh, you're going to stand in for like Giovanni Ribisi, Ed Burns, and Tom Hanks. I just need a body there for the day because they're doing a couple reshoots. I'm like, God, yeah, I, I, I'm already there, dude. I'm, I'm on my way. But they're, you know, Saving Private Ryan had filmed 
uh, overseas and they were done. They had a couple reshoots to do. So it was just one, one day on the big universal lot. I mean, I'm on, I'm on set with Spielberg on universal. If you walk out of the building, you know, up there is the Jurassic Park ride, the movie that he directed it, the, and we're on his lot. It was, it was unbelievable. Did you and get to talk that, to him or did, did Spielberg ever direct you? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm on set, you know, briefly, but I'm there, you know, I got my fatigues on and my war helmet and, you know, they're just lining up these shots. So I would just go in front of the camera and I'm sitting there and I do what they told me to do. And Spielberg's just like, that's great, Larkin. You know, just keep going, partner. That's good. All right. That's good. Larkin's good. Is he good, Larkin? And I'm just like, Spielberg keeps saying Larkin. I just keep, keep saying Larkin. <laughs> so, and Tom Hanks, nice guy. Good guy to hang out with. Him. I don't want to underplay that. That was great. I got to see Hanks briefly, and that was fun. But just a couple weeks later, Hanks was finishing up this monster project called From the Earth to the Moon. It was made by HBO. Yeah, like yeah. A part miniseries. Hanks produced it. He did a lot of it. You know, a, a, an amazing project. But the last episode of that series, Hanks was an actor in that uh, he played like a French physicist who had a lot to do with the the, the moon projects. And my, uh, my buddy, he's like, hey, did you stand in for Hanks a couple weeks ago on Private Ryan? I'm like, yes, sir, I did. Well, I need you again for this little, it, it was a, a smaller soundstage for a couple of shots with Cruz being this scientist guy. And so I, you know, I got the job, thrilled, got there, you know, greeted Hanks, blah, blah, blah. And then, but Hanks had on a, like a prosthetic nose and he had to speak in a French accent all day. And I mean, I don't think he'd mind me saying like, it was, it was work. It was hard, you know, a lot of French blah, blah, blah work and the nose. And so my buddy just said, you stay with Hanks all day. Just stay with him. If he needs lunch, it's you. If he needs a diet Coke, it's you. He needs a straw because he's got a weird nose. It's you. I'm like, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so I just did. I just did. I never left his side. I'm running, you know, he has to read his French lines and I'm the guy. I'm just the, you know, it had to be somebody and it was just me. And uh, and I'm doing that stuff. And we got the interpreter there and then she left. So it's just me, me and Hanks. And then, then he would want to take a break and we wouldn't rehearse and we would just chat, chat, you know, about stuff. And I, Hey, how, how much fun was it doing those reshoots two weeks ago? Private Ryan. Oh, Larkin. It's just, you know, the whole movie was so fantastic. And he's just, you know, I'm there. So I'm the guy who gets to be on the receiving end of his niceness. And uh, All right. Was, uh, one more uh, celebrity interesting story that I read in the book. Your hand and Ben Affleck's hand. Oh, geez, they saved. They may not look like much, Burke, but they, they saved the world. You can all thank me later. Yeah. Yeah, I, were, I, I stood in on um, uh, the greatest movie of all time called Armageddon, where a bunch of oil riggers are sent into space to save us all. That's that was that movie. But Michael Bay, listen, listen to this. This is you know my buddy telling me, hey Larkin, uh, uh, are you free for like ever? Because this movie's going to take forever. You're going to stand in for Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck uh, off and on. I'm like, yeah, I, I think I think I can clear my schedule. So, um, uh, Michael Bay directing, so crazy movie. You know, lots of explosions and crazy stuff. And I I got hired to stand in for Bruce and Bruce was finishing another movie. So, uh, you know, they shave, you know, my, my forehead looked enough like his and they shave my head and they give me the big space suit and with the helmet on, you know, you can't tell, I mean, it could have been you in there, right? Right, sure. <laughs> but, so for the first couple of weeks of the movie, I was, I was Bruce Willis. That if they were doing like the rocket ship leaving and they were, you know, shooting over Steam Buscemi 
onto me. It was me in the helmet. I'm in the helmet, like doing the thing. And we're all shaking. And so for two weeks, I was Bruce. I got to do all the, all the like takes that are in the movie. It's not rehearsals. I'm in the movie because they're just waiting for Bruce to come back. So that was glorious. I got to be pals with Michael Clark Duncan, the gentlest giant man of all time from the Green Mile. Everyone knows him. Uh, I mean, he, he like I get a lump in my throat talking about that dude. What a sweetheart of a guy. And Buscemi was awesome. And Michael Bay would yell at everybody all the time, but I didn't care. Of course, again, I, I was happy to be there. So then I got, when Bruce Willis came to the movie, I got the boot because he, he had a, a, another stand in that was physically like a better match. You know, I was a little taller than Bruce. Uh, you know, Bruce had the massive forehead that, you know, made him millions. And I was just there. So I got the boot for a while. I had to leave the movie for a couple of weeks, but then Ben Affleck stand in screwed up and they booted him. So I got, I got to come back in as Ben Affleck stand in, which was awesome. So Great. I got to work on the movie a lot, doing a lot of scenes as these guys in the suits, you know, on the asteroid, you know, cause, cause if Ben Affleck and Bruce were off doing, uh, you know, dialogue on a scene and they had three units going on this massive asteroid they built on a Disney stage, then they would just me use me and Bruce's guy to do everything, you know, we, we were, we're pulling off name tags as, you know, these close little inserts or we're, or we're, uh, you know, disconnecting cables and trying to save the world. And then this scene came up where, you know, the, the, the clock is ticking and this bomb's going to explode, but it's not buried deep in the asteroid yet. So we're all going to die, Burke. This is it. It's happening. It's all over. So they're, you know, they grabbed me and the other dude and we, you know, we got gloves on. Nobody can clearly tell it's any of us. And, you know, we have to cut the red wire or the green wire to save the world. And it, you know, if you picture the scene, it's a, the camera's, you know, shooting straight down into this box of thousand wires. Right. And so, you know, you know, anybody could be doing it, but they grabbed us. It had to be somebody's hand. So they grab us. And then, then I think they took our gloves off. And, you know, they go, here we go, 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 and, you know, get your energy going. Here we go, 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 grab it, Ugh. grab, mess with it, go lock it, Ugh. cut it, cut it. And then you cut it, cut. All right. Was that good? All right, bring in some new wires. We'll try it again. And then, you know, you're just, you're saving the world. But, you know, it boils down to this, you know, I was the right guy at the right time on the right movie and they needed this one cool shot. And on that day, it just worked out that it was me. And I, uh, so if I, I watch that streaming tonight on Netflix or whatever, that will be your hand cutting the wire and saving the world. Thousand percent. Yes, sir. I love it. Larkin and Campbell, our guest today, A View from the Middle is the book. Um, there's one great story that, that I'm not going to give away, but when you pick the book up, there's, there's sort of a, a great climactic scene where you get to spend the entire day on set and on camera acting opposite Steve Carell and Ed Helms from The Office. You're a, you're a character on The Office forever. Uh, and what a, what a wonderful day. I, I won't ask you to go into the story, but was that like a top 10 day of your life? Is that right up there with you know, the birth of your kids and all that, because it seems like the culmination of all these years of work and, and trying to make it out there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, but you, you hit it right in the head, just, you know, from those stand-in days that were glorious, you know, and they, they really gave me, you know, I mean, I, I got to be on camera and I wasn't even working as an actor at all. And then, you know, it, that led to me really wanting it, like really wanting it. And then, you know, then I'm beating the pavement, you know, then I'm dropping off a hundred headshots a month and I'm mailing them. And I'm taping them to people's windows saying, you know, but, you know, so I'm a non-actor, but, oh, hey, I've, I've had, I've had parts in like seven TV shows, 
that I, you know, hustled my way into. So I have a resume and I'm beating down doors and I did it for 10 years, you know, uh, hustling agents, hustling a new agent, hustling a casting director that, you know, I, I, I know I can be on your show just, and I never stopped. I never stopped. I, I could hit, I could hit, I could hit 50, 50 businesses in a week with my headshots and I'd tape them on the windows. I'd slide them under doors. I'd put them in the plant. I'm like, you know, please bring me in. I'm a, I'm a talented <laughs> actor. You just don't know it yet. You know, cause I never thought my agent was doing enough for me. So dude, the, the 10 year hustle was as much fun as I've ever had, you know, just, just, you know, and, and then when you get one, you get one on the line, Hey Larkin, uh, CSI New York called and the, the director remembers you from this movie you stood in. And I'd, I'd go into the audition and the director would know me and I'd already be ahead of all those other yucks in the, in the waiting room. But you know, they, they, it, the, the highs and lows of the acting career were, you know, the highs were, were far outweighed the lows. And, you know, the highest of all was, you know, it, within the span of one year, you know, I did, I had some luck in TV, you know, a little thing in Grey's Anatomy, a little thing on CSI New York, a, a bunch of, I, I landed a pilot called Joan of Arcadia, where I got to be a serial killer. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I had, I have, a body of work that just came from me hustling all those years, right? But then, like in 2010 and 11, you know, I struck oil twice in one year when I, I got to be, um, I got a call for a, a youth baseball coach. And, you know, I, 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 I coach, I've coached youth baseball for 15 years. And I, I literally went to the audition for the office with a jersey that said Coach Larkin. And they were, you know, the, the job alone and the process of getting the job, you know, booking, getting the audition was fantastic. Having a great audition was unbelievable, you know, with a huge casting lady who discovered everybody funny in town, everybody. And then, you know, hey, Larkin, you booked the office. You, you work in two days. Congratulations. You just landed on the moon, dude. And I can't sleep for two days. And I, you know, I won't go into the whole day. But it, as, as glorious a day as an actor can have, I had with Steve Carell and Ed Helms. And working on a show where there's, you know, you're mic'd, but there's no camera in front of your face. The cameraman is 50 yards away and it's shot like a documentary and you don't know what you're doing half the time. But that day was, I'll put my day up against any actor anytime. And then that same year to book, to book a day's work on a Clint Eastwood movie where I get to go and be directed by Eastwood and get my cool haircut of H.R. Haldeman, a real live person. And to have all my hard work you know, all those years of the hustle and the PA and the stand-in and, and never caring about the rejection. You know, I, I, I haven't gotten hired for 512 acting jobs, 512. Wow. I've booked about 42. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of rejection. But to have those pile up into those two amazing days, like just felt like those were my days in the sun. And I like, I literally told myself, and you read in the book, like I, I honestly... I don't think it can get better than this. And I, I think I can rest easy if it doesn't, you know. Larkin Campbell, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Before you jump, any advice? If there's someone who's watching or listening right now who says, you know, I'd, I'd really like to give this a shot. What would you tell them? Buy my book. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. honestly, like uh, the reason I wrote the book is, is to help. I really think, I really think stories like mine, I really think they can help. When I moved out here, there wasn't anything like that. Uh, you know, you, you can hear, you can read an actor's memoir like Brian Cranston, or you can read that guy, but you know, on chapter seven, Brian Cranston, uh, 
books Malcolm in the middle and then his book is no longer helpful to you. I'm, I'm, my story is to tell you that you, you can. There, there, there's my, I, I really feel like my story is a guy who never made it big, but sure as hell feels like he did because th this movie business is glorious. Bill Paxton said that to us at a rap party. He was, he was very intoxicated, but he said, this <laughs> is the greatest business in the world. You're going to meet some great people and there's nothing, nothing pays off like this. And if you can find a way to get in the door and there, there, there are doors out here in this business that can be opened. And if you, you know, it's not about just chasing your dreams and you can find it. It's not like that. It's harder than that. It's way harder than that. But a guy like me did it. And I, I, I don't care how many people told me no. And I found a way in the, the, the farthest back door you can imagine. I found it through the, through the basement door is the one I found my way into. But I, you know, I, my story isn't a story of like, look at me success. My story is like, yes, yes, you can do it. And it's worth the battles. And if you love it as much as I do, and you're as grateful as I am for every day in this, uh, you know, just just stay at it, dude. Because I don't I don't care how much rejection it is. Uh, rejection is your friend, and and he's coming. <laughs> Grit and perseverance got you up close and personal with Tom Cruise, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Steve Carell, Gary Sinise, Craig Robinson, Ed Asner, Christian Slater, many many more. Now, when you go to imdb.com, you're going to look up Larkin Campbell. Pick up a view from the middle at larkinsworld.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold. Larkin, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, my friend. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thank anybody for watching. And uh, reach out to me if, if you need one of these. They're, it's a great there it is. Seat. A view from the middle, how an unknown actor managed to stay that way. Larkin Campbell is the author. And thank you for watching, zooming to books and listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. Thanks to our show sponsor, SpeakerMatch.com in Washington, D.C. I'm Burke Allen for Larkin Campbell. Thanks for being here. Now go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.